On this episode of Your Asian Best Friends, we talk about Asian American chefs and how they're changing the landscape of the food industry. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bernard. And we are your Asian Best Friends. Hey guys, uh, we're back. I promised last time, uh, Taylor, if you remember, we're off schedule again. It's been a while. It's been yeah, a while. For sure. <laughs> we thought we were going to get back on, but... Um, what was it this time? It's just family stuff. It was family stuff. It was birthdays. And then we're in good health. We are in good health. Just family stuff. Family stuff. Yeah. Well, that's good. A uh, family first. <laughs> Always family <laughs> first. Isn't that like the, the, the slogan for like anti-gay marriage <laughs> oh, campaigns? No, is it? I'm pretty oh, no. Sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was in like 2008 or so whatever. I can never say that again. <laughs> Pretty sure it was family first. Oh man, it keep it in. It's fine. <laughs> you can keep this in. Jeez, two thousand eight. Yeah, that was when the that was when family all the first. Gay stuff was coming on. Oh, like a traditional family, yeah, right. or whatever. Yeah, God. Yeah. Um, but we're back. I, but last time, like I was uh, saying, like, last time I promised that I would watch beef, <laughs> and I didn't watch beef. <laughs> Um, cause I was busy, but also, um, <laughs> cause I didn't want to do it. <laughs> well, no, I want to watch beef. I do want to watch beef, uh, but, um, as time, as we kept postponing recording, I was like, yeah, this is old news now. Yeah. It doesn't, I'm not going to invest 10 hours in yeah. this old show now. Yeah. And that's how fast, I guess, uh, entertainment moves <laughs> these days. Definitely. Um, so no beef. I'm sure we'll, I'll, I'll watch it eventually and then I'll like mention it on a show. If anyone's interested in that. Look forward to that. 2025 <laughs> beef recap season yeah. one. Season one. Yeah. <laughs> season three will be coming out then. Yeah. Um, uh, but we still have a great show today. We are talking about, I guess it's in the beef uh, <laughs> region. <laughs> if you want to. Clear that you've never watched beef. <laughs> it's beef. <laughs> This is <laughs> beef has nothing to do with no, what we're going to talk about. Carpaccio. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about Asians in in uh, the restaurant industry right now. Uh, there are a lot of Asian American chefs and personalities in the space who are um, really changing the identity of what Asian and defining what Asian American cuisine is today. A lot of really popular figures that we'll probably <laughs> mention who everybody knows, but also it's like some like small local people as well. Uh, there are a lot of really exciting voices um, coming from our community in food. So we're going to talk about that. You excited about that, Taylor? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to mention uh, my grandma died uh, a few weeks ago. And I had to mention it because she's uh, she's the one who brought my family here. She and my grandpa, they moved, they and their five kids uh, over here to the Bay Area in uh, America. And uh, they're why I'm here. My grandpa died uh, many years ago. I was like six or something. Oh wow! So I have I have some faint memories of my grandpa, mm. uh, but my grandma, you know, she just passed. She passed 102 years old. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a wonderful person. I, I love my grandma, but I wasn't 
it's weird. She passed and I wasn't really like, I didn't, I didn't cry um, mm-hmm. almost at all about it because she's goddamn 102 years old. <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, sure. supremely happy, positive person, mm-hmm. devoted to her faith, um, to her benefit. I think that's not always the case, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, I'm not a religious person, but she was, and I, I think she was the better off for it. Mm-hmm. And um, she she left, you know, a really big impression on my life. Obviously, I lived with her for quite a while in my twenties. Spent a lot of time with her, was lucky enough to do that. And she, I think the number one thing about her was um, she was very merciful, which I think is like counterintuitive to me. And I'll say that I'll speak for on Taylor's behalf, counterintuitive to Taylor as well. I think you and I are maybe angrier people, definitely more than she was. <laughs> And she was, at least in my, in my, in my, in my worst moments, mm-hmm. I can be spiteful. I can be, um, sensitive and lash out, but she, uh, even when people did her wrong and they really did, she would, um, forgive them and kind of be there. I think my cousin put it the way of, she would be their defense attorney and kind of mm-hmm. try to be empathetic and see things from their perspective and understand why they're being such an asshole. She would never be faced. She would never waver in her, her positivity and optimism. And I think, uh, extraordinary to, to uphold that attitude for 102 years over a, over a century. And to the day she died, she was very happy. She was very aware of what was happening mm-hmm. to her and that she was coming to an end. Even on her, on her last day, uh, she was joking about dying. She said, um, to, to my uncle, she said, uh, yeah, I'm ready to go, but I might ask, ask uh, God for just a couple more minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> near the end. <laughs> so she was, she yeah, she was cool, man. Uh, you met my grandma a long time ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Not, yeah. Um, little old Asian lady. I I'd love to, uh, not today, but at some point I'd love to get into, um, particularly my grandparents history and getting here. It's really insane. Like my grandpa was at one point he was in the military and one point he was on a death march. He, he was, um, being marched to his death with his compatriots and he managed to escape. Yeah. It's a, I'm so thankful for, for all my family, but my grandparents in particular, and now they're, they're resting next to each other. And, uh, I love, I love them very much. And that's like the, um, just that story I think is actually really common in this country, you know, for Asians, um, people fighting to come to this country mm-hmm. and earn their keep here, work hard and, uh, you know, love this country in a healthy way. I think it's a healthy patriotism, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> most of the time. So, uh, yeah, it's for my, my grandma, Juanita, she's the best and I'll miss her, but I'm really happy. I think the the only the only the only time I cried was at the funeral. Um, I was one of the pallbearers, and I you know you do the thing where you throw like a rose, like into the hole or whatever. Oh no, you put it put it on top of the casket. Mm-hmm. And then after us, the uh, the um, pastor or whatever funeral director was like, uh, "Okay, now the kids. No, now the kids oh, come no. up." And my mom and her four siblings oh, gosh. just kind of, they're all older. They're in their like eighties yeah. and they just kind of like 
started walking really slowly oh, no. with their flowers up to the the grave. Yeah. And they were like kind of struggling to get up, but they looked like children. Yeah. They, you know, in that moment, they're old. Oof. They look like children. And I, I that's when I cried, you know, because they did just miss their mom. If you didn't, you'd have a heart of stone. I think so. <laughs> but I, I, I felt kind of weird um, not crying the rest of the time. No, 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 no. I think I think people. I'm I'm joking. Um, I think people grieve in totally different ways, yeah. and especially when people are at that late stage of their life and they've lived a fulfilled life, and you've had a um, good relationship with them and you you're not wanting for anything from them anymore there's no unfinished business um i think you can already have closure before somebody passes you know i mean i think about that with with my grandma who's still alive and um, nearing 100 i i think she'll be right 100 on. next year um i'll probably cry like a baby um because I was I was very close with her. She lived with us, um, <clears throat> but I I will know that she lived a pretty amazing life, and I think that's a gift that can comfort you. Yeah, hundred years. I mean, that's two lifetimes. Yeah, amazing. And your grand your grandma. Um, yeah, she's. Uh, you said she was a great cook, right? Yeah, she's the best. Yeah, my my grandma. Um, she she was a good cook, and she would always. Uh, our favorite thing was this um, kind of you know our version of congee, the Filipinos, mm-hmm. um, called lugao. Mm-hmm. It's like a chicken porridge, and uh, uh, yeah, now I I make that for my family now, and I feel like, you know, <clears throat> that's a good segue into what we're going to talk about next, which is, you know. Asian Americans making food, taking the food from their roots that they grew up on and kind of filtering it through America and then the culture we grew up in Mm -hmm. and seeing what comes out the other side. Uh, Before we start talking about this, Taylor, we got to get the word fusion out of the way. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that word. Because I think, to me, conceptually... I think it's great mm-hmm. what that word means, but that word feels dirty to me still because people misuse it so much mm-hmm. and it kind of, it kind of evokes a specific kind of restaurant yeah. when it has the, that word like in the name of the restaurant. Yeah. I think it's a very inauthentic take on, on ah, gosh, just what you were saying, you know, being bringing your true self to your food through the lens of the culture you came from, and then and then the culture you you belong to, um, and I think it almost got commodified in in some way, um, where you don't need to say fusion if you are saying fusion, it's kind of it is a dirty word, um, right? Where. I mean, you see Japanese technique throughout. It's almost impossible not to see it yeah. in the Bay Area, particularly in in, in, in fine dining. There's yeah. no way you can avoid Japanese influence, yeah. especially in fine dining. Um, and they're not saying that they're a fusion restaurant. They're you know paying respects to the techniques and 
are borrowing from their experience and I think that's a beautiful thing but fusion I think is is a dirty word yeah it's like it's like if you start a restaurant or a concept with the word fusion and that's your concept that's the goal then I think that's a backwards way of going about creating food right like 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 engineering food because if your end goal is to like fuse two cuisines it's most likely going to be more um gimmicky than you know um reasonable or or, um um sensible Mm -hmm. like uh a lot of dishes um let's think of a good example but some a lot of dishes take like like you said japanese technique or french technique and make like and then apply them to like Mexican ingredients or something. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It, you, it works, right? Like you just applying a methodology from one cuisine to the ingredients of another one. And, and that's exciting and that's cool and it makes sense. But if you're saying, oh, we're going to do fusion, then you're going to end up something like a sushi Rito yeah. where it's like, oh, we got, it's got to be like a Japanese burrito. And that's, that's the wrong way of going about it. I would say I would use that word mm-hmm. wrong. In every sense of that word, it's, yeah. it's, it's a bastardization of both cultures. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, and it, those things are trendy and they tend to fall by the wayside. I think we're past the fusion. I haven't even it, seen that word. Because it sucks. Time. <laughs> yeah. It sucks, I, but I wanted to get that out of the way because what we're going, going to talk about and the food we're going to talk about could be misconstrued as fusion. Mm-hmm. By a lot of people. But is it just because we're old? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, our, well, like, like, I feel like fusion was like big in the 90s, you know? Like, you saw Dude, I hear lot. it all the time still. <laughs> really? I hear it all the time. All right. But not from like, but. But do you have old friends? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have a, first, I have a feeling that our, our listenership is. Not young. They they know what fusion <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> They've heard of fusion, and uh, no, I hear. I think especially, particularly among, um, <laughs> particularly among people who aren't like super obsessed with food. They've heard that word, and that's like the best thing they can use to describe certain things. Mm-hmm. Like it's fusion. Yeah. Um, but let's let's start. I think we should start at the top. When we're talking about um, Asian Americans influencing the food <clears throat> landscape and changing it. I think we got to start with, uh, um, our favorite Dave Chang, mm-hmm. who continues to be an inspiration to both of us. I would, if I can say that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's cool about Dave is that he embraced his American upbringing as much as his roots and he found a way to present that in his food in a way that that um is organic Mm -hmm. and isn't contrived yeah it makes sense yeah and immediately that was his perspective Um, really early too yeah i mean i mean he started his restaurant really early like i think even he says that he probably opened it too early in his career right that's right yeah Um, yeah and yeah, I think he just pulled from his real experience and it came through. And because of that, um, I think he he made a huge name for himself and has continued to be hugely influential in the 
food industry, not just by how he cooks, but how he thinks about the business of food. Mm. Um, and he talks a lot about authenticity and how it's a bunch of bullshit, um, which makes a lot of sense considering where his perspective lands when it comes to cooking and feeding people. Yeah, he, I mean, he does. If you guys don't know, he's the um, the head of the Momofuku Empire. I'm sure you've heard of Momofuku or Milk Bar. Um, they've kind of expanded beyond beyond recognition from the the you know the yeah. humble beginnings of his first restaurant, which was kind of a I don't know. From I never went there, obviously, but from all accounts, like a punk rock kind of rough around the edges establishment mm-hmm. that was serving great food. Maybe he didn't have the best service, but you know, good, <laughs> really, really great food. Um, but there, the what's characteristic of Dave Chang, particularly back then, when before it was cool, was he would do things like, um, you know, serve you really good like country ham with like right. coffee. Um, what what is it like a coffee? Um, it's like a red eye uh, gravy, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, That's like right. A ham with red eye mm-hmm. gravy, which is obviously like kind of Appalachian inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, a dish, but still falls in line with his food, his very Asian food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it makes sense. Uh, ham, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know where coffee fall- <laughs> falls in, but it makes sense flavor wise. Yeah, no, definitely. It's not fusion. It's 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 it fits. No, I think the best ex- best restaurants are an extension of the chef's personality and, and background. Yeah, and absolutely. The- and that was definitely it, you know. I think you can, I think, uh, you know, it was almost like a love letter to his upbringing. Um, I don't think, I don't think he would probably say it that way, but that's what it feels like as an observer. You can feel his personality in his food. Yeah. Um, and I also like about Dave that now he's entered into, um, this new phase of his career. He moved to LA from, from New York. Yeah. Uh, which I never thought would happen. Dave Chang in California. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, because he very, very famously, you know, shits on Cal, shitted on California mm-hmm. for years and years. I'm sure he still does in, in some way. He shits on a lot of things. <laughs> Definitely California was a main victim, but now he's in LA and he's got, um, Momofuku is now, um, selling, seasonings uh like salt blends around the country Mm -hmm. um three types of uh, salt seasonings um they've got a chili crunch a lot of chili crunch Mm -hmm. some noodles that you can probably find at your local whole foods um and what's cool to me about this i'd love to hear like what you think about it is that he's um he's not selling like doesn't seem like he's just selling products. It's like he's trying to encourage people to just cook what tastes good to them. Mm-hmm. He said, even in like when he's making videos about his own noodles, he's like, sometimes I don't use the packet that we mm-hmm. give you. I just, you know, I, I save it for later or I make something else with these noodles. Um, when he's explaining how to cook something, he never uses recipes. His latest book doesn't have any recipes in it. Mm-hmm. It's just ideas. Mm-hmm. For how to treat ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I like that he's trying to ingrain into people how to be more of a chef than someone who just follows a recipe. Because that yeah. kind of leads you nowhere if you're just following <laughs> following recipes. You're not gaining anything from that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think even like uh, beyond providing a model for the home cook, I think he's also providing a model for the old professional cook. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, how do I, how do I continue to do what I love outside of the kitchen? Because you got a, a ticking um, clock when you're a professional um, cook. You can't do it forever. Yeah. Um, and you can either get out of it, which is what you and I did, or you can diversify. And there wasn't really a model for people diversifying. You usually became like a, a cook for a catering company. And, you know, at least when I was in the industry, that was like your deathbed. Like, mm. like you didn't want to be working for a catering company. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Anything but that. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, through the pandemic, he was definitely a leading voice of how can we think about this in a better way to make this more sustainable for um, the people behind the industry. Because I think we think a lot about the sustainability of the food um, and where these ingredients are coming from, but we don't pay enough attention to the, sustainabil- the sustainability of the people that are um, preparing it for you. And I think he's trying to um, create a model f- for that. That's great. No, yeah, that's really good. I never looked at it that way. He's, he's kind of like paving the way, like an exit route for all these like, beat up chefs. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is how you can continue to be a positive voice in the industry without killing yourself every <laughs> right. day. Yeah. Um, so let's, there's a ton of other voices to talk about. Um, uh, another early voice in the scene was Roy Choi, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, LA's Roy Choi. He, he, I mean, he legit chef, like like chops wise, like he's legit. But he was just serving craveable food out of a food truck, food mm-hmm. that tasted good, that was accessible to everybody, no matter how much money you made. Mm-hmm. And his popularity exploded. I don't know how long ago, like fifteen years ago. So long ago. He's an OG, dude. He's <laughs> he's been yeah. around forever, yeah. and he. Similarly to Dave, you can feel his personality through his food, and it's very American and mm-hmm. and very Asian. Yeah, and loud. It's all loud. Super loud. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, Dave Chain's food's loud, too. It's like loud Asians making food. <laughs> yeah. Dude, they're they're, like, they're like the, uh, the, uh, like the badass kind of tattoo. Uh... Dave Chang's not a tattoo guy, though. No, but he's abu- he, he was abusive. His personality <laughs> is like of... Yeah. The, the tattoo uh, variety. But uh, yeah, Roy Choi, I think, um, was, was a really big uh, voice. Uh, who else? Who else? Do you have anyone uh, that particularly <laughs> influenced you? Um, and then <coughs> I would say... What's his name? The Chinese... Uh, Mission Chinese food. Okay. D- Danny Bowen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Danny Bowen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mission Chinese food, incredibly influential. Yeah. Um, and, and had a positive influence to us, like to the consumers, like to the guests, mm-hmm. but notoriously a few years ago, um, the toxic work environment of that place was kind of outed by former, former employees. And obviously we're not into that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I'm sure all that toxic 
behavior was happening in all these places. <laughs> they just haven't been called out in some ways. Oh yeah, it can't it's absolutely not unique to Mission Chinese food yeah. to have a toxic kitchen <laughs> environment. Yeah. Um but th- I think before we move on from Danny Bowen, I think the really kind of cool unique thing about his um food was that he was he was I believe he grew up in Oklahoma. I think he did. But he yeah. was adopted. Yeah. So he wasn't raised on Asian food. Yeah. He just, he um, kind of paid homage to it later in life and learned mm-hmm. about it later in life, um, which is, uh, that's really unique, I think. There, there are very few. I think most Asian American chefs that you'll find today who are very successful grew up on Asian food, but he did not. Mm-hmm. I think one of his first breakthroughs was winning a... <laughs> like a pesto competition in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> which is so unique. But I think that just goes to show the, the um, variety of experiences that, that um, uh, this community brings to the table. And then um, outside of the restaurant industry, I think someone I want to mention is Kenji Lopez-Alt. Mm-hmm. Do you know him, Kenji? He's, he's, he's not a chef. He's a cook and yeah. a writer, a journalist. Yeah. And I, I think he's great because... When you watch it, he's primarily a YouTuber, although he writes for like the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's a contributor there and a, a lot of other publications over the years. But he he preaches good, like, good um, kitchen practices. Yeah. He comes across kind of like an ass to me, to me I'll be <laughs> honest. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I think he, li- he likes himself a little too much. Yeah. But- he is very good at what at what he does, and he might be very kind in real life, but through the page, he feels like he's uh, a little into his own into his own stuff. Uh, yeah, um, I can see that. And I mean, all these people are, but uh, <laughs> and I do think, like you know, we're talking about relatively contemporary people, but you know, there's a lot of other, like. Yan Can Cook was an incredibly influential um, show. And Martin Yan? Martin Martin Yan. Yan. Yeah, Martin Yan was incredible. (laughs) Like, just what he was able to do. And I think his influence is is carried out through all these people. Yeah, totally. And he, you know, he's... He his stuff was very steeped in tradition, mm-hmm. but he was himself was very American. Yeah, you know his sensibilities and his palate. Mm-hmm. Even though he was making authentic food, he knew what. I mean, I I don't know how else to put it. But he knew what white people would want to eat. Yeah, and he he uh, he definitely played up to that in some ways. He's definitely a product of his, um, of his time. You know, I think he he even played up his accent. He played up a lot of things. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, but um, super, um, you know, incredible businessman that I think also might have provided the model for um, a lot of people, honestly, outside of just Asian Asian Americans, um, just like how to be successful in this industry. Branding, yeah. yeah. Yeah, really ingenious stuff, especially for the time, like 80s, 90s. Yeah. For an Asian to do that, That's very right. good. Yeah, very good. Um, I'd like to shine a spotlight actually on a local. We're we're based in the Bay Area, 
And a restaurant that I know you and I both enjoyed was this place, Thai restaurant in a Japanese hotel (laughs) (laughs) called, (laughs) the restaurant is called Nari. Yeah. It's in San Francisco at the Hotel Kabuki, Mm -hmm. a Thai restaurant. Um, Excuse me. Let me, let me look up the, um, I have to uh, acknowledge the chef here. Um, Chef Pim's food at Nari, Thai food. Definitely not strictly traditional. Yeah. Uh-huh. But kind of blew me away. I know you had a really great dinner there, too. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, she started as a food blogger, and she was the partner of uh, David Kinch, who's one of my favorite chefs. And then she ended up opening up her own restaurants, and I was definitely like skeptical, I guess, of a food blogger opening up a mm. restaurant. Um God damn, she did, was. I should not have doubted her, and she was. Her food's incredible. There's like a curried, like was it sea bream or something? Mm-hmm. Fried, yeah. and it was like, uh, yeah, I'll remember that dish forever. <laughs> yeah, so cool. But it's yeah, it's like restaurants like that that are feel current, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's um, one of the points I want to get across here is that. Like David Chang um, kind of always emphasizes, authenticity isn't really worth much. It's I, I think the best way to honor um, the food that our, our parents and ancestors made was to continue to move it in forward in, mm-hmm. in, into like whatever direction that we can move it forward into. And we grew up here, mm-hmm. so we're pushing it in that direction. Yeah, but to just deem it stagnant and just say this is the only way to make chicken mm-hmm. the Chinese way or whatever would be um, just uh, mooching, I think, <laughs> off of off of all these people's uh, hard work. Is like as we all know, especially particularly in like Korean cuisine, heavily American influenced for <laughs> for 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 obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But it bore some really weird, delicious food. Mm-hmm. Um, like that army stew, army uh, I forget really what good. it's called, uh, the actual name for it, but yeah. with the spam, everything, hot dogs, hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. Filipino food has a lot of American influence as well. Um, for, you know, not the prettiest of <laughs> reasons, more pleasant, pleasant of reasons, but I think that's. If we're going to call that food authentic, then why can't um, this these new iterations of these dishes yeah. that are born from Asian Americans be just as valid? It doesn't make sense that you would um, uh, guffaw at a, at a dish because it's got like cilantro in it when it doesn't traditionally come with cilantro or something. No. Anybody that does is just trying to prove that they know. Foodie bros. Yeah. Foodie bros. fucking annoying. Um but yeah, I mean, a lot of these things come from occupations of other countries, <laughs> like the banh mi, you know, French occupation of Vietnam. It's my favorite sandwich. It's a great sandwich. At least something good came out of that. <laughs> yeah, that is my favorite. You know what I love about a banh mi? It's, just, it's like a, I mean, it's a little, like a torpedo. It's perfect, yeah. The, the 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 baguette is perfect shape and then they hollow out the middle mm-hmm. so that it, it all stays you can eat it with one hand mm-hmm. there's pate in it yeah maggie seasoning 
pickles. Like, it's perfect. Perfect sandwich. Yeah. Sometimes they toast it too much, but other than that. You need a good bun. There's a big difference between a good bun me and a bad bun yeah. me. Big difference. Big, like, I don't want to eat it if it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not, not a good uh, a bun me. Um, an- another person uh, I want to mention who's also local is this uh, kind of up-and-coming chef. His name is Chris Yang. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm. Um, in San Francisco, he was doing pop-ups for many years. Um, I, I went to, I was going to his pop-ups. They were called, one was called Henzi. Hmm. And it was like a kind of a modern American take on Chinese uh, cuisine. And he's just opened a place in the mission called Piglet and Company. Hmm. I haven't eaten there yet. Yeah. But I love, I love his food uh, uh, and his, and his take on that stuff. I, I love that we're continuing to see our generation evolve this food and not stay stuck yeah in 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 making um you know it's not it's not even because americanized asian food is has been happening forever right oh for sure i mean all our our grandmas were doing that yeah and it's good yeah it's good yeah i I love (laughs) i love americanized uh, uh asian food but then I think there was like a, a moment there, like over the past like 12 years or so, where it's like, if you're like a foodie, quote unquote, you want authentic Asian food. I don't want, I don't want Kung Pao chicken. Right. You know, I, I want, I want chicken feet. Mm-hmm. And that's the only like Asian food that's good is if it's, they make it the way they make it in Beijing or whatever. Yeah. Would, there's value to that. Yeah. I, I think it was a response to knowing that we weren't getting access to that. Mm. Like Chinese cuisine is the mother cuisine. Like there's, and it's so diversified and we only get like one version of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I do understand like the, um, like I want this too, but we don't need to get rid of the bastardized versions either. Like, right. Some those are some tasty bastards. At the end of the day, all of these cuisines are just a collection of of techniques yeah. and ingredients, mm-hmm. like techniques applied to ingredients. That's mm-hmm. all any cuisine is. Yeah, um, and that it's the the possibilities are endless. I mean, I mean, you we can people are like these chefs are taking these original ideas, like a curried fish. And pushing them into new directions with new techniques from other cuisines, mm-hmm. which again is it's fusion, but it's not fusion. Yeah, it's not that fusion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good fusion, um, but it's not like. But it's fusion, but it's like there's no reason. Like you you said earlier, there's no reason to call it that. Yeah, it's like redundant or unnecessary to say. Um, it's just it's just modern food or contemporary food. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know uh 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 Brandon Jew? He's mm-hmm. here in, in Chinatown. Yeah, never, never eaten his stuff though. He's got, I, I love his stuff. Um, Brandon Jew's got, so his last name is J E W Brandon Jew, mm-hmm. because when his family came here, they were trying to, you know, assimilate. Right. So, so they changed the, the spelling of their last name and then he opened his restaurant and spelled it the, the original way. J I U Mr. Jews mm-hmm. in uh, Chinatown. I really love that restaurant. Um, but I, I also like that it's in that Chinatown. I think San Francisco's um, fraught, like it's like it's like a fraught city with um, myriad problems. But that Chinatown is a beautiful place. 
Their Chinatown mm-hmm. is so resilient. You can feel that community is still thriving mm-hmm. and, and, um, uh, um, upholding their traditions while also like, like, uh, how chef Jew is doing, you know, introducing new flavors and, and techniques to old cuisine. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I like that restaurant a lot. Um, and then there's a place, uh, Dave Chang's, uh, favorite restaurant in LA, Yang Ban. <laughs> mm. I went there, uh, yeah? I, I went there and I, I had a, like a few weeks ago and, uh, Katiana and John Hong are the chefs. I believe they're mm-hmm. they're uh, partners, and it was incredible. It was yeah. just as good as Dave Chang said. But what was cool about it was like um, there's like a dumpling dish. Hmm. There was a weird dumpling. It was kind of like gnocchi. I don't know uh, mm-hmm. if you know that style of dumpling. Mm-mm. It was weird. It was is gnocchi style dumpling, but then the sauce had like dill in it, mm. and it tasted like a Jewish deli. Oh, nice. And I was with my friends. It tastes like a matzo ball soup. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the texture-wise, too. And I was like, this is, I love this shit. Like, mm-hmm. I love it. You, you can, it's like you were saying, you know, you can feel the personality on the plate. Mm-hmm. They clearly grew up loving Jewish delis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, they're, but they're making dumplings, you know, it just right. makes sense. But it works. Yeah. I love that. Young bun. Um, Esther Choi. Have you heard of Esther Choi? Mm-mm. She's a uh, she's kind of uh, coming to prominence right now, like on TV. Hmm. She's like winning all these competitions and stuff. But she's been a pretty successful restaurateur in New York for a long time. She has a restaurant called Mock Bar M O K. And I think if you guys want, if you're curious, go on. On she has like an old YouTube channel that she doesn't like run anymore or doesn't hmm. like um, upload to anymore. But she's got some really great recipes on there that I think. Hmm. Um, uh, our traditional, like she's doing like Cornish hens and stuff like that. And like, uh, over like, um, glutinous rice and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the techniques are clearly like, she's got like French chops. Like she, Mm -hmm. she, yeah, she's (laughs) like trained, trained in that way. So no, yeah. Another uh, exciting voice. I don't know if you have any, any more, uh, people out there, chefs out there that you think are cool or restaurants you've eaten at or heard about. Uh, Viridian in Oakland is doing some really cool stuff. Mm. Um, oh yeah, you 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 told me about that. Yeah, I can't recall the chef's name, but um, it's very. It's the first restaurant I went to that felt like oh, this is like Asian American food. Like this is, this is perfect. <laughs> you know, it reminded me of my childhood. A lot of mm. like what what we were talking about with like. The flavor profiles of our grandmas trying to um, not replicate, but, um, you know, create dishes that reminded them of their of of their home. Um, And it definitely reminded me of of the food I I grew up with, but um, put on the uh, pedestal that it deserves, I guess. That's amazing. Um, yeah, no, it's great. Wow. Yeah i i want to um, I want to mention that uh, this year's James Beard Awards. If you guys don't know, it's like I guess the most yeah the most prestigious awards event in in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, event. You know, there's Michelin, but that's like whatever. Yeah. It's not. It's not an event. Um, the James Beard Awards is kind of like the Oscars of the, the of the restaurant industry. 
And um, this year, there were three Filipino-American restaurants nominated nice. in the James Beard Award. Um, and I wanted to shout them out. Um, in Seattle, from the restaurant Archipelago, Chef Aaron Verzosa was nominated for Best Chef Northwest and Pacific. And then in San Francisco, there's a restaurant called Abaca, which is a Filipino kind of a fine dining place. And its pastry chef, Vince Buktong, was nominated for Outstanding Pastry Chef. Neither of them won. <laughs> well, they were nominated. Wah, wah, wah. But um, in Chicago, there's, I, I need to go to this place. It's a place, a Filipino restaurant called Kasama. Oh, yeah. I've heard yeah I'm sure you've heard of it. Yeah, it's making a lot of waves. And um, the um, chefs there, Chef Tim Flores and Jeannie Kwan, I believe they're, they're partners as well, married. Uh, they were nominated for joint Best Chef Great Lakes. <laughs> so that, the Great Lakes area. <laughs> nice. Never nice. heard that area to yeah. refer to as the Great Lakes area. But they won. So they, nice. They, they, yeah. Go. They won Best Chef Great Lakes. Nice. Filipino there you uh, go. restaurant. Way but to go. That's uh, just for me uh, growing up eating Filipino food. And that's, hating it. And hating it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a up and down roller coaster for yeah. me. Uh, just to see that is like mind blowing. Mm. Mind blowing. I, I've always felt that, you know, we're talking about adapting traditional food to our own personal modern lens. And I always felt like Filipino food wasn't ever doing that. Like when you when you eat Filipino food at someone's house, it's always kind of. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this before, but just just culinary. I love the food, and I grew up on the food. But culinarily, like when I'm tasting it, I'm like, this is missing something. Mm-hmm. Every almost every dish, I'm like, this needs chili. This needs something bright, acidity, mm-hmm. just simple stuff. You know, like like just. Um, I don't know foundational, culinary. Um, uh, uh, I don't know, um, philosophies applied to these dishes would make them way better. Mm-hmm. And I just thought for years and years, they, they, you, when you taste these dishes, they always taste the same. Yeah. Even if they're from different regions. It's like, oh yeah, I've had this before. Mm-hmm. But now, like with these, these three restaurants, it finally feels like Filipino food. Because it's becoming popularized, now there's room for it to evolve mm-hmm. in this country. Yeah. And that's super exciting. I haven't really eaten in any of these restaurants yet. Uh, I've got to go to Abaca in, in San Francisco. Okay, field trip. Your Asian best friend's field trip. Off-site. Oh, dude. You want to go? Yeah, let's do it. Dude, I would, let's totally do that. Um, you know what's weird about Abaca? They do uh, breakfast every day, I think. Nice. At like, I think they open at like 8 a.m. Wow. That's crazy. Like, why? That can't be. <laughs> like, I was like, how do you... <laughs> How can you afford to do that yeah. <laughs> in that industry? But uh, yeah, I guess my cousins went and, and they got like breakfast there on a Monday Ooh, at 8 a.m. Like Sunday night's dinner reheated. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's like pure, that's true Filipinos. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how do we make money? No, this is to make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the food we were going to throw out last night. <laughs> we are about to throw out this whole pig. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that that restaurant looks really exciting. But now I'm now I think um, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for the, these new Filipino American voices, and I'm gonna eat their voices. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so gross. Because <laughs> I think what you know, I do want to mention. Uh, I've talked to some people who ate at Abaca, and who didn't really love it mm-hmm. and i asked them why didn't you love it and wasn't you know they you i bet you can guess what they said wasn't authentic it wasn't authentic yeah that made me more excited to eat there was it white people that'd be even better no <laughs> no i didn't no that'd be the best <laughs> it wasn't authentic mm. oh man uh, before we go yeah i just have one thing to say i need to get it off my chest it's a bernard's bummer mm-hmm so there's this movie called Elemental, a oh, Pixar movie. It. Did yeah. you see it? Oh, yeah. this is great. So I, can, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. This is great. Okay. So I interviewed the director, uh-huh. Peter Sohn, uh, before the movie came out. So they showed me like, Pixar sent me like some of the movie. Mm-hmm. I watched some of it and I talked to him about it. And he was talking about how it's a parable for, you know, his family immigrating to New York and opening up a Korean convenience store mm-hmm. and... Um, the xenophobia that his parents endured. Mm-hmm. Now the movie kind of kind of um, covers that, and I thought, oh, that's cool mm-hmm. uh, because on the surface it kind of looks like Inside Out two or something, right? Um, just like you know, personifying these cartoony <laughs> characters. Yeah. So I okay, so that's I did that, and then the other day, Taylor, I was out with these white guys. Mm-hmm. I I knew one guy in this group. Uh, and that's why I was there, but the rest of the guys were these random white guys. I don't know how you do why you do this. Oof, well, <laughs> it was not a good night for me. <laughs> we'll, tell, we'll talk after we stop recording. Yeah, <laughs> but um, uh, these white guys were like, oh, you know, that elemental movie looks like the shits. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it just looks like Inside Out too, or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, talking shit, and, I and was you're like, like, well, actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, I haven't seen it, but uh-huh. um, I will say it's probably not as generic as you guys think. Yeah. You know, it's based on this guy and his Korean family right. and xenophobia. Mm-hmm. And these white guys just looked at me for a second and blinked. And then they were like, yeah, but it's like Inside Out too, right? <laughs> Taylor, I got so depressed. I was like, <laughs> they don't give a fuck. Oh, no. they I can't, but it's not that they don't give a fuck. It's just like, they really were looking me in the face and basically saying, oh, that doesn't matter. I bet you I'd wager that they don't know what the word xenophobia means. (laughs) (laughs) They're just perpetrators. They don't know. They don't know. (laughs) They're like, that's why they blinked. (laughs) And they're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Inside Out too. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, so many phobias. <laughs> yeah, there's too many phobias to memorize. <laughs> See, how? Why do the names of phobia? Because they're all like Latin based. Mm-hmm. None of them sound like what they are. No. Like, right? Like they always have some random for Latin arach- name. Ar- arachnophobia. That sounds like. That's still. That's still like, uh, obviously we know what arachnids are. Right. 
but, but you, you have still to, have to you know have to what an arachnid is. Yeah, before. Yeah. It's like, no, it's spider phobia. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're afraid of spiders. It doesn't sound nearly as cool, though. <laughs> yeah, arachnid. That movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was the best. That was the John best. Goodman. Yeah. Flamethrowers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wish I had a flamethrower that night. I was hanging out with those white boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, if, he's, if he said, I have spider phobia, everyone <laughs> would be like, fucking pussy. <laughs> but if you say, I have arachnophobia, everyone's like, yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> it's a common malady. <laughs> not among, okay, I got, not among Filipino dads. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. Have you... I don't the know. Fucking bugs in the Philippines <laughs> are like gigantic. <laughs> like when I was a kid, there'd be like a huge like we lived with like there was like a big field behind our my childhood home, mm-hmm. and so we had a lot of spiders. Yeah, and we'd be like, "Oh, dad, there's a spider!" And you'd yeah. like eat it, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's like, it's, it's, like not nothing. A <laughs> you step on it with his bare foot. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, nothing. Those tropical climates, man. They get you. Uh, they get you ready for American insects. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like little babies. Okay, so did you like Elemental? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, my partner loved it. Okay. Like, really loved it. And it was the first movie that we took our daughter to. Oh, that's great. Which was fun. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Nothing like Inside Out. I understand why people would think that, because the animation style is very similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was good. Okay. Yeah, I got. I don't know if I'll watch it, um, but I, even without having watched it, I was I balked at the fact those white boys didn't care that it was about a Korean family. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, it's inside out too. <laughs> um, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, I'm Bernard, and I'm Taylor, and we are your Asian best friends. <laughs>